0: Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people, to worship you together this morning, to read and discuss your word, to pray together, to sing your praises. We pray that you'd be with us over this Sunday school time as we read and discuss the text of Genesis. We pray you'd continue to be with us this morning as we look toward corporate worship together. And we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right then, Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar, that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly laid down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, "'Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night?' She said to him, "'I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor.' She added, "'We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night.' The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, "'Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham.' who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. and There was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But You shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord, and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from beer Lahai roi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother, and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right. What do you notice? What questions do you have? Lots of camels. Lots of camels. That wasn't the first thing that came to mind for me, but all right, we'll write that down. Lots of camels. What's up with the camels? I mean, they're not just ancient land rovers.
1: It's a symbol of wealth.
0: Yes. Symbol of wealth. Why would that be important in this chapter?
1: Well, it's just a reminder of how blessed he is.
0: Who's he? All. Okay. Why would wealth be important in light of what's going on in this chapter?
1: We're about to have. a marriage of the clients. Well. Or a connection to the clans that are not necessarily close together often.
0: Okay. What is this servant commissioned to do?
2: Bring back a wife for Isaac.
0: Bring back a wife for Isaac. Right? He
2: needs to demonstrate that Isaac will be able to provide for her.
0: Yeah. So imagine you're a father with daughters, right? And someone shows up and says, Hey, I want to take your daughter with me to go marry my master's son.
1: And if you showed up at 1954, that would not be a good sign.
0: Well, suppose it's a completely restored...
1: Well, even a student maker, I guess, would make that okay.
0: So he comes with gifts for the family, with an entourage, which also means it it would be a bit of an imposition for an ordinary family to show up and be like, hey, you got a, a room and a couple extra spots on your driveway, right? He's not just parking cars. He's got animals that have to be fed and cared for while he's there, which also may be part of why he doesn't want to lengthen his stay. Uh, but it's not just, you got grass that's not wet where we can park. Yeah. So his... Those he brings with him, the gifts that he has right there, a demonstration of presumably just a representative sampling of his master's wealth, with the implication that if you send your daughter with me, she will be provided for and taken care of. It'd be a bit different if he arrives by himself and he's pretty bedraggled and you know, he hands her a crushed bag of chips. And, okay, what else do you see?
3: They went back to Abraham's um, original land uh, where he was called from, which I assume to be a pagan land um, because God's still establishing the nation of Israel, I guess you would say, at that time. So I think that's interesting that, you know, as rather than <clears throat> trying to create something from, you know, a new slave, he goes back to the original land that was presumably pagan, and decides to have Isaac's wife drawn from there. Interestingly enough, he doesn't send Isaac back. And it specifically comes up and says, no, no, you go back, and the angel of the Lord will go before you and kind of goes
0: through the earth. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Under no circumstances is Isaac to go back. But Isaac doesn't get a wife ...from the surrounding peoples.
4: ...the same that he actually asked Isaac, you know, his thoughts about the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you a wife, and this is the way it's going to be. I you don't know that kind of back in the way it's supposed to be, too, but it <clears throat> doesn't to give like, him a chance to go somewhere
0: else. Yeah. Sorry, Josiah. I'm not going to do that for you. But yeah, so Abraham, as the the head of the household cares for everyone in the household, including making marriage arrangements for daughters if he had them, uh, and for sons, right? Um, Ishmael is a different case, right? Ishmael leaves and Ishmael takes a wife from the area, right? Um, But Isaac, we talked about this last week, Isaac seems to be getting up around 40. He's not married, Abraham takes care of it but he sends his servant to his kin, right? And whether this is all the way back in the area of Ur of the Chaldeans or somewhere along the way, right? Because you remember Abraham's father, Terah, left Ur of the Chaldeans and started on his way toward Palestine and then stopped and died along the way. Um, But it does seem to be the case. This comes to light even more so with um, Jacob and Rachel and Leah, right? Abraham's family to whom he sends them are pagans. At the very least, they're polytheists, and maybe occasionally they worship the Lord among other gods. You may remember that um, Rachel steals Laban's household gods and is hiding them in the tent when they flee. So these are not, right, these are Abraham's kin, right? This is Abraham's extended family, but they're not people who exclusively worship the Lord.
3: But his servant's prayer is interesting because he says, Oh Lord God, my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master. So Mm -hmm. steadfast love, I think, probably is tying into the promise that was made to Abraham. And it seems that he's praying that God fulfilled this uh, promise through said kin folk. So,
0: this word that's translated here, steadfast love, has to do with covenant loyalty or covenant faithfulness. If you're familiar with discussions around the, the Hebrew word hesed and all the different ways of how we translate it and what is its sense in this passage or another that's that's the word used here the lord has established a covenant with abraham we see it in the promises in chapter 12 we see it in the vision with the ceremony in chapter 15 we see it with the granting of circumcision in chapter 17 and so the assumption here is that isaac is going to inherit that promise that covenant that the Lord has made with Abraham. In fact, the Lord has already told Abraham that Isaac will. And as a part of that covenant with the Lord, the Lord demonstrates his covenant love toward Abraham. Abraham and his descendants demonstrate their covenant love toward the Lord. And this servant is praying in light of that covenant that the Lord has granted Abraham that he would honor that covenant and prosper this journey and provide a spouse for Isaac. What else do you see? And the way he asked it was uh, that he would be sure this is the
5: person. Because he he had, you know, not only would he be given water and drink, but his candle as well, so that he would know that that was for certain the lady that he should take back. Yeah, because a little bit of water for one person is one thing, but to have to keep drawing water to water are the camels, too. And it doesn't say how many camels, but
0: I'm sure there's quite a few. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's showing up in a place where he's likely to see young women coming out to draw water. And it would be perfectly reasonable and not unexpected that they would offer him water or give him water if he asked for it. But but for them to go above and beyond and to water all of his animals, especially as he's standing there, like, come on, man. Why don't you do that? Um, that would be a sign, right? That would be something that would distinguish one young woman from another. Anything? F- Sorry. No, no, please go ahead. I think that's what he was
5: getting to. Was yeah. Making sure that this is a this is chosen woman. And that she'd be willing to serve.
0: Yeah anything familiar about the general setting of the scene?
1: The woman at the well.
0: Woman at the well. Okay. Where else do we see a woman at a well?
1: Uh, I would say was like the New Testament.
0: Okay. Where in the New Testament? <laughs> uh,
1: when he's in
0: Samaria. Yeah. So John 4. John 4 is a special case because it doesn't fit what we expect. We see it here in Genesis 24. Where else do we see it? Jacob meets his... Yeah, we see when Jacob meets Rachel, a couple of chapters later. Moses. Genesis two. Mm-hmm. Jacob and Laban. It's Genesis twenty-nine, I think. Yes, Genesis twenty-nine. Yeah, we'll come back to Genesis two. I think you mentioned when uh, Moses meets his wife in Exodus, right? He flees Egypt, ends up in Midian, He has to flee because he kills the Egyptian who's beating a Hebrew and figures out everybody knows, right? And the priest of Midian had seven daughters. So that's Exodus 2. Genesis 2, right? Think about the setting of that sixth day of creation. God plants a garden in Eden. He puts the man in it to work it, and to guard it. And then we get that description that four rivers have their headwaters in the garden and there's, right, there's no rain, but a, a mist or better, a spring rises up to water the face of the ground. And it's there that the Lord provides a wife for Adam in Genesis 2. So this opening scene right near the beginning of genesis kind of sets this what we might call a type scene where there's a well or a spring and it's called both here in genesis 24 there's an eligible young bachelor or his representative and an eligible young maiden and then it ends with a wedding right we saw that in genesis 22 we see that here we see it in genesis 29 we see it in Exodus 2. John 4 is weird, right? Because Jesus is sitting by a well in the middle of the day, and a woman comes out to draw water. She's not exactly an eligible young maiden, but is there a wedding? No. Are you sure? No, no, now
2: that you asked it that way. She, she becomes part of the. Part of the bride of Christ, part of the church,
0: and she becomes a leader. So on the last day, there will be a wedding banquet. She and, as a result of her testimony, her entire village become part of the bride of Christ. There's another that's in First Samuel nine. Another use of this setup. We talked about it on Tuesday nights, right? When, when Saul, we first meet Saul, he's wandering around the countryside trying to find his father's donkeys who are lost he can't find them anywhere the young man with him is rather resourceful which is also a contrast Saul is not right he has this idea well let's go to the town where the man of God is and we can ask him and if we read first Samuel 9 they're on their way into the town and they meet a whole flock of young women coming out to draw water and we've just heard about how Saul is from a prominent, wealthy family in Benjamin. So we have this eligible young bachelor approaching a well. As a whole group of young women come out to draw water. And he asks them how to find Samuel. And they tell him. And so he keeps going and finds Samuel. If we have all of this as the background, like, We've just met, we're expecting a king. We've just met this prominent young man, Saul. We have all of the setup up for a wedding and we don't get one. We don't get one. That disappointment in First Samuel 9, which uses this same type scene, um, gives us a little hint at what we're going to get out of Saul. We're, we're not going to get what we want from Saul. He's, his entire reign is going to be a disappointment. Okay, so we got the woman at the well here. What else do we see?
1: Well, in my recollection of the Hebrew description of Adam's response to Eve being created, it's understated in the English translations or other translations, but as I've heard it described, when Eve came to, to Adam, he went, like, wow. So I found that interesting, and then I found an interesting that um, most uh, Abraham has to or describe Sarah as pretty woman. And he makes a point of emphasizing that a couple of times. But then again, here we have this uh, service who mm. you can get all hot floating about this, that, and the other, what her work ethic was, what her countenance was, but she was So we're not neglecting the natural as supernatural things move. I, I found that very interesting. A yep. like
0: man to man to man. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. What else do you see?
1: You don't want to go to
0: that <laughs> <laughs> we'll let that say We're not going to chase that. Yeah. But it is true. Like it does specifically point out that she is attractive in appearance. Yeah.
6: Well, on that, what I thought was it's like a little... Easter egg for what eventually is to come, because Isaac does exactly what Abraham did with Sarah, eventually he's with Rebecca, oh, she's my sister, because he's worried they're, they're going to kill him if they know it's his wife. So the fact that they said she was beautiful, I thought, oh, that reminds me of the way they described Sarah, is this what's to come, which is what happened.
0: So if we're looking for a, a modern, like present-day application of this text, right, it means if your wife is beautiful, that just means trouble, right?
6: There's a song. <laughs> <laughs> I used to sing to my nephews for a lullaby before I do lullabies. And it's, um, if you, um, how's it go? If you, want, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a... Pretty woman, your wife. Go from my personal point of view, get
0: an
5: ugly girl to marry you. My sister didn't much like that. That was my lullaby. Yeah. <laughs> it's all I at the time. Talking about uh, attractiveness. You know, in verse 16, it, it it says the young woman is very attractive in appearance, and uh, the same thing is said of many others, uh, as we pointed out, uh, Ab- uh, Sarah. But uh, there was many, there were many other pointed out attractiveness, you know, all their beauty and whatever.
4: Well, think it kind of shows two, two things in those men. Even though as faithful as Abraham was and Isaac was, it wasn't strong enough. And sometimes, and then their confidence at that time was not strong enough. So yeah. that kind of shines through in that aspect of it. Yeah, i a beautiful but you know I'm not gonna stand up for no matter what
0: happens to me and try to get around it. So much that is right, Does not speak well of them. We Also have this interesting. What do you think about Laban? What do you think about his reaction to the whole? thing? Well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna learn more about him as we go. What is what I
4: think about him This. What does it go, go back real quick to the, mm-hmm. the gold bracelets and the gold ring? What does that kind of represent for them? Because it seems like when she goes back and he sees that, he's like, "Oh, I gotta go check this out. What's going on?" So, what does that represent? For, for I guess for this whole
0: deal, is the gold bracelets and the ring have some representation? But what is it? Yeah. So, in general, it's part of a demonstration. Of wealth, right? The, the servant is demonstrating that his master and his master's family is able to provide for and take care of Rebecca. But it is interesting the way it's narrated, that's what Laban sees. That's what catches Laban's attention. It's not like Laban walks out and is like, Who's that? I got to go down and meet this guy. Like he walks out and sees what his sister's wearing and is like, Oh, wonder what else he's got in that bag, right? That's what catches his attention. So, right, as soon, verse 30, right, as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. He does hear what his sister says, So he does hear what the man is there for. But what first captures his attention are the gifts that are an obvious display of Extreme wealth.
1: But do you think it was extreme wealth? You think it was over the top?
0: Um, I don't know if it's over the top or not, right? I didn't have to shop for a wife in the ancient Near East. This right.
5: shows an awful lot of faith and trust in God. You know, if your daughter needs to turn to ring her nose, sends her home, it's okay. You wouldn't be okay with me. But <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of faith and
0: trust in this whole chapter. Mm-hmm. A lot of faith, a lot of trust, yeah. But this is also, this is not as out of the ordinary as it strikes us, right? That a young woman would become part of another household, would leave her household in order to do that, Right. So Abraham, as the, as the father of the clan, would arrange for the marriage for his son. If he had daughters, he would do that as well. And That would involve daughters from outside the clan coming, leaving their family group to come into the clan. And it might be another family group that's near or it might be one that's far away. What's odd for us um, Reading this, is, I mean, there's lots of things that are odd for us, but it's also that, that these are related families. Like that's that's a little weird for us. Like you wouldn't you can go to the family reunion to look for a wife, right? We might make make jokes about other states along those lines, but but in reality, right? You wouldn't do that. So,
4: but it, well, I think what's different about this is that how God explained it. Exactly how it was going to go. In 21, one of the servants gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. He's just sitting there watching it unfold and that hole of smoke. This is really happening. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's pretty cool. To, this, this guy, this servant, <clears throat> had to see exactly what God said was going to happen
0: unfold before times. Mm-hmm. What do you think about his repetition? Because right, this chapter's, no, um, the servant. Because the chapter is twice as long as it needs to be, right? Because we already know everything that happens. And some things get passed over very briefly, right? Like the conversation between Rebecca and Laban, all we have is, right? He heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, right? In verse 30. But when the servant sits down with the family, he retells the whole first half of the chapter, all of which we've already heard, right? Like this is, I'm surprised some of you weren't squirming for me to skip that part when I read it, right? Why do we have that repeated? What does that do for us as we read? Well, isn't uh, the servant giving the
1: testimony that
0: he asks
5: God to show him a sign that this would be the right one by, and he lists out the exact criteria, and then it happens almost as soon as he's not even through praying, and it starts to, to unfold. And it's from the that
6: horse's mouth, so to speak. It's not secondhand. I mean, it lends validity to it that this isn't hearsay, that she maybe misinterpreted what he said. It's coming straight from him, from the source.
0: Yep. But all of that could have been done in summary fashion, right? You're right, like the family needs to hear the testimony of the servant's prayer, of the mission that he's on, of the Lord prospering his journey. But that could have been summarized for us as readers. So what's the effect of having it all Narrated for us again.
4: Show us how
0: important. It is. Good. Okay. It
4: came from God to Abraham to the servant, and then it played out exactly like
0: God said it So anytime we're reading narrative, and something is repeated, any kind of repetition that's always, always important, always important. The other thing which Mike mentioned is it matches. This is always something to pay attention to. Because sometimes the narrator will tell you what happened and then a character will speak and the character will say what happens and they don't match, right? Sometimes they leave details out, which are important. Sometimes they twist the presentation, right? And those are moments where we get to peer into a character's character, so to speak, right? Um, when we watch John Wayne movies, right, we know from the first time we see John Wayne from the color of his cowboy hat, whether in this movie he's the good guy or the bad guy, right? There are these symbols that we know how to read that tell us how to understand his character, his place in the plot of the movie, whether these other, you know, how these other guys fit into the picture, Right? Whether the guy with the drinking problem who used to be the sheriff is going to recover by the end of the movie or whether he's going to be the reason there is a movie, right? He's the plot, right? Repetition does that for us in biblical narrative and especially mismatches between what the narrator tells us and what a character says. Here they correspond, right? Which communicates to us as we read as well as... To Laban and Rebecca's family, that this servant is trustworthy, that he's going to fulfill the mission that Abraham sent him on, and that the Lord is blessing his journey. The Lord's hand is at work in all of this.
2: I've always found it interesting that he doesn't leave off the part where, if you don't agree, I'm going to see you in my head. Like I've always thought it, I'd almost keep wanting to keep that to myself because I don't want to. I want to be successful. I don't want to, like, let them off the hook too easily if they don't want to go along with it. But if he doesn't,
0: he divulges it off. Yeah. He has the opportunity in that moment to, to manipulate them into sending Rebecca with him by leaving that out. You're right, he doesn't. He leaves that on the table. He makes sure that they know that. Right? It could still be that for whatever reason... The Lord's answer was ultimately no. What about the next morning? What do you think about the interaction with the family the next morning?
4: Well, even God has two parts in it. First, him, and the dad, are like, yeah, good. It's from God. We're not going to argue it. Y'all go and leave. And, yeah. But then when later, well, it says brother, it doesn't say Nathan, so I'm assuming it's him. And mom talk. Well, I stay for about, ten days with us before you let her go. There's a little difference there in communication between brother, dad, and mom. So, and then uh, the uh, servant kind of like, ah, we need to speed this up as we get back.
0: So do we have hesitation the next morning? Right, this is a big deal. They're not going from Clinton to Baton Rouge. And even if they were, right, at that time, that would have been a much longer journey. This is probably a journey of a month, right? Certainly weeks. They can't just hop on the interstate to go visit her anytime they want to find out how Isaac and Rebecca are doing. They may hear news from people who are traveling along trade routes, but this is likely going to be the last time that they will see Rebecca. This this whole side of this scene that we don't often think about and so they seem to have all agreed to it but then the next morning they're like well let's let her hang around 10 days let's give her a chance to say goodbye the servant wants to go and he's anxious to get back abraham's not young he probably wants abraham to be able to see that he's fulfilled the mission and what's their response to that
6: ask her if she's ready to leave or she wants to stay Uh
0: They've done all of the arranging, all of the agreements are made without her. Now we are reading this in a context where that doesn't happen, right? Very rarely would something like that happen. In our cultural context, the young woman who's getting married has a pretty big say in whether or not she's going to get married To whom she's going to get married, and all of that. That was not the case here. The heads of household would take the whole responsibility of finding a suit, right? Presumably, if she hated the guy, they might find a different guy. But generally, the young woman would have almost no say in the whole thing. And so for them to put the brakes on everything and say, well, let's ask her. It's as though they're looking for a way. Now that they've made the agreement, now that probably substantial gifts have been exchanged, they're looking for a loophole, right? Everything is hanging in the balance on what Rebecca will say, which is a a tremendous transgression of cultural norms, of expectations, of manners and conduct, like this would be unheard of. But suddenly, everything's on the line based on how Rebecca will respond. Here's where we come to that moment. We thought we came to it earlier, but now we come to a last final moment where the question the servant asked as he prayed, has the Lord prospered my journey or not? Here's where we find out after we've been through everything else. And so what happens? He agrees to go. So as, as you all have pointed out, as we've read, there's so much faith and trust in this chapter. Well, the servant's faith and trust and Rebecca's faith and trust are the two most prominent, I think. as she given the option of saying no? Says yes to go to a place she's never been, to marry a man she's never met.
1: Maybe it was uh, yet another fleece, if you will, to uh, say God, confirm this.
0: So. Well, it, I mean, it functions that way, but I doubt the servant put in them the notion, well, let's ask Rebecca and see what she says. So her actions and her demonstration of faith then confirm that she is the answer to the servant's prayer. Sorry. So
2: is it significant, if you ask her who she is, the servant does. at the beginning, she says, I'm the daughter of Bethlehem, and then she goes to her mother's household, and then her brother goes out in the front's hall, and presumably is probably the one telling him to continue talking and all that, and the only thing her dad says is with her brother, he says, we can't talk to you, because the Lord appears to have done stuff, and then it's her brother and her mother who say, well, let her stay 10 days. Then ask her, like, where's Bethwell in all this?
0: That's a very good question, right? Because Bethwell is the father of Laban and Rebecca, right? And the way things would generally work within a household in the ancient Near East, right? Don't think in terms of a nuclear family. Think in terms of a multi-generational household, probably gathered together on a family compound where the the patriarch of the family would oversee and protect and provide for everyone within the the father's house, the Beit Av, right? So Abraham rules over his Household, right in his household right we learned several chapters earlier even before isaac is born his household is so extensive he's so blessed that that includes 318 servants trained for war who can go with him to rescue lot right so this is much much larger than a nuclear family so this household back in Mesopotamia that's related to Abraham's household, right? Bethuel would be the one who fulfills that role as the the patriarch of the father's house. But Laban is the one who takes action in this chapter. And then Laban will be the one who's ruling over the household when we meet this family again a few chapters later. So is that because already at this time, Laban is usurping a role that Bethwell has, or is it because Bethwell is also way up there in age, like Abraham is maybe fading faster than Abraham was. And so he's still there and he's still the figurehead, but Laban is the functional head of household don't know but it is very interesting right that he's there we hear mention of him but he's not the one who acts he's not the one who takes care of provides investigates um negotiates on behalf of the household laban is fulfilling that role They, they operate with a different family structure than we're used to so and what else do you see
1: so that that would maybe not be like Jesse of the book of Samuel, who's referred to by David later only one or two times. So Jesse was was detached from the story in a different way than this ethical. You know, and of course, we can only respond to what's in scripture. But I, you're saying or suggesting that there may be two different Things here about why he was not mentioned as much as, say, Jesse, okay. to compare those two people? Am I well, reaching for an understanding?
0: Our, our primary interest in David is after he leaves his father's household, right? He strikes out independently from his father's house. So I think that's the main reason we don't see much of Jesse, is because most of our interest in David is from when he has already left his bait off, his father's house in order to fulfill a different role that God has prepared for him. So but here, yeah, but here the scene is unfolding in the household But Bethwell is not acting in the role you would expect him to have, right? As though he is already at least functionally given the reins over to Laban. I
4: think it's interesting to remember that scenes Isaac. So they've been traveling for however long, and she just sees this guy sitting on the field and gets on camera and like, "Hey, who's that?" So like, oh, she knew you. that was public. Yeah, it doesn't say anything else about anything else. they been traveling <coughs> however long or wherever they came from. You would assume that they saw people along the way, but she sees one guy sitting out in the field and she hops off like, hey, who's that? And it just happens to eyes Yeah, That's kind
0: of interesting. Yeah, and what is it about his appearance, especially from a distance, that marked him out as, as the heir, right? In a household with hundreds of servants. What made him stand out?
5: The other thing jumps out to me in addition to the the awesome
0: faith of trust is obedience to God. Mm. Yeah, on both uh, the servant's part and Rebecca's part. Mm -hmm.
4: So it says, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So how long did she die? Two chapters 12, so one chapter ago. So I don't know how long after her death this actually happened.
0: Uh, for him to still be blind. Yeah. I mean, we, we certainly get the impression that it's after her death that Abraham sends the servant. So it's been at least you know, the two-month journey, but probably longer than that. But yeah, it doesn't say how long. All right.
2: What is the um, force of the word meditate in the field toward you? Because it doesn't say pray or... Like the word that we have, we kind of have more, um, more Christian connotations to whereas meditating uh, seems like a broader, depth range. of me does this, is there any significance to that your choice?
0: That's a good question. I haven't done my homework for this morning, so, so I don't know. You could grab the NIV right here next to me and see if it translates it differently. It's chapter 25, verse, or sorry, chapter 24, yeah, 63. Well, I have anybody, and it by me, and the little
6: footnote says <clears throat> that the meaning of the Hebrew for this word is uncertain. So it didn't give me
1: much either. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's, a, it's a reminder that prayer in and of itself, in my view, is meditative. It's not a gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. It's uh, like the Lord looking at here for me today It requires pause, which someone could say is meditation.
0: We'll just have to leave that unresolved. I'll have to do my homework for next week, right? What's the, what's the significance or what's, what's intended by the phrasing used that Isaac goes out in the field to meditate, right? The result by the Lord's appointment, as you drew out, is that he is the first to see Rebecca. But what is it that he's doing? What is it that the Lord has brought him out into the field to do other than to be there to see her first? I don't know. To go out in the field to meditate, right? You'll be the first one to see your new bride coming into town. So how do we see this in light of the story of Abraham so far? What does this do for us? Well,
1: I just love that, that prayer in verse 60. May you, our sister, become thousands and ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who ate them. So it's a continuum in, in, in light of the question of the expansion of God's kingdom on earth.
0: We've been following Abraham and his story for 12, 13 chapters at this point, right? And it's several steps along the way It has seemed that the promises are endangered by this or that circumstance, by Abraham's actions, by things that have not come about. We finally have Isaac, the child of promise, right? Through whom, the Lord tells Abraham, through Isaac shall this offspring come, right? Shall this promise continue. But Isaac's pushing 40, still single. And so we have this whole other set of circumstances that leaves us questioning, is God's promise to Abraham going to come to fruition? And meanwhile, sprinkled along the way at a couple of points, we hear that that Abraham's extended family, by the way, they're having lots of kids, which heightens that tension. But now we have Isaac married. And so we'll see how far we get before the next thing that Leaves us wondering, leaves, the, leaves Isaac and his family, leaves us as readers wondering, is God going to keep his promise? How are we going to get past this thing that has us worried about it, right? And it's interesting because worried indeed, worried, sinfully worried, right? Because we see in Abraham, and I think this is so helpful to us, right? God has given us tremendous promises in Christ, and yet we doubt. We worry, we fear, we wonder if the Lord will bring them to pass, if sometimes we wonder if we were wrong to trust him, although we would almost never say that out loud, right? We struggle to believe God's promises. And among many other things, these narratives in Genesis demonstrate to us that we are not alone. We are not the only ones who struggle to believe God's promises. Our experience is not unique. And the Lord walks through those experiences with his people and will repeatedly demonstrate his faithfulness and meet us in our doubt and worry and answer our concerns. No. So, with that, let's look at our
6: meditative. Dictionary in the back of the Bible, so it's to contemplate or to think deeply about, which I knew, but um, which makes me then think: so he went out to the field to meditate, not to pray, but maybe just to sit with his thoughts and think. Maybe he was thinking, "Is this going to work? Is the wife coming? Is he having doubts? He's not praying; he's just thinking of by himself, meditating." And so, in that divine timing that God has. When perhaps that was a moment that Isaac was doubting, sitting there thinking, he looks up and sees his future wife. Like God, he wasn't praying to God. God's like, I hear you. Here, you you don't need to doubt. You know, this is what I promised and Here it is. So.
1: But that, I don't know that he wasn't praying. We, don't, we haven't clarified that yet. Right. But it brings to mind this notion of being in a state of continual prayer. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? I mean, we have seasons of understanding that or not understanding that. But I'm thinking, again, it's not in Scripture, but I'm thinking they're interchangeable, that he is indeed in communion with the Father. I mean, I don't know. Right.
0: But, so. Right. so my work is to chase up that word just figure out what's going on. What does it mean that he was meditating What's going on with the footnote in the NIV saying, actually, we don't know what this word means? <laughs> <laughs> so unhelpful, right? Most of the time, footnotes in our Bibles are questions they should have just resolved instead of leaving there for us to scratch our heads about.
6: I mean, I kind of like to think that he was just alone with his thoughts, not praying, just thinking, maybe doubting, and then God, look up, and there she is. How cool is that? I didn't
2: Yeah. I was just thinking out loud.
0: Alright, I saw a hand over here.
2: Yeah, so she took her so she sees him, the servant tells her who it is, and she took her veil and covered herself. What is that about? Because if it's about modesty, why does she not already have a veil on?
1: But he saw from afar. fall. But she's got people close to her that she can ask.
2: And then he's seeing her.
0: It's a good question. But we're at time, so once she
5: her. Expected husband, then she covered herself. Uh-huh. I think that's. I, I always read it that way, that was why she did that, wasn't it? Because when you're traveling, they probably didn't know where the veil, mm-hmm. but she wasn't around someone who could possibly be her. her husband. Mm-hmm. It might be hard to see with traveling with the veil on her face, so
6: maybe probably a heavy
0: I need it. We stopped the camel there. The air conditioner was off. So. Good. <laughs> Second question to worry about for next week. What's up with the veil? Meditate and veil. And the, and the timing of the veil. All right, let's pray. I'm is
5: a hard time hearing, but covering her face with a veil was just a sign that she was a
0: well, but that gives rise to the question: Why wasn't she already wearing it? Excuse me? That gives rise to the question, though: Why? Why the timing? Why wasn't she already wearing it? So, all right. All right here mm-hmm. We'll figure it out for next week. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, read it and discuss it together. Thank you for the way it points us to your faithfulness to your people throughout time and place and culture. Thank you for the way you walk faithfully with the people who struggle to believe your promises, even when we have seen great demonstrations of your love and your faithfulness. Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you settle our doubts? Would you fill our vision, not with our worries and our circumstances, but with the beauty of Christ and all that he has done on our behalf. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.